Hello, Electorate listeners. This is Jen Taylor Skinner. Do you enjoy the Electorate and our long-form interviews? Well, if you do, I think you should check out the Innovation for All podcast. Innovation for All features long-form interviews with thought leaders at the intersection of innovation, like technology and business, for instance, and discussions around topics that have a social impact, like diversity and culture. Episodes like the one that explored whether virtual reality can improve sexual harassment training. Fascinating, right? Or like the episode that explores whether artificial intelligence is being built on biased data. So if you enjoy the thoughtful, smart, and upbeat approach of the electorate, please check out Innovation for All on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I talk with Parker Malloy about Fox News and the conservative media's drive to protect masculinity. Nice. A couple of weeks ago, Gillette, the Procter & Gamble company that makes razors, released an ad that turned out to be quite controversial. The Gillette ad challenged traditional notions of masculinity and started with this thought-provoking question. Is this the best a man can get? The ad discouraged bullying among boys and sexual harassment, and given the direction of our culture, it was right on the mark. For example, we're moving away from this boys will be boys mentality and embracing movements like the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. And given all of that, the timing of the Gillette ad seemed fitting. But the ad didn't go over so well. There was, of course, a backlash among conservatives, especially among conservative media outlets like Fox News. And that's where today's guest comes in. Parker Malloy is an activist and a writer for Media Matters, and she wrote this really compelling piece about the social science behind Fox News, exploring the political motivations behind why they want their viewers to believe that masculinity is under threat. So here is Parker discussing the initial reaction by Fox News to the Gillette ad. So I was reading your piece on the Gillette ad. So the Gillette ad came out a couple of weeks ago, and you know, it's funny I could have predicted the way that the conservative media reacted, but I don't know why I expected them to react that way. And just to put it bluntly, they didn't react very well, right? Yeah, I mean, the reaction was was predictable. Anytime I I read something that says something is responding to the Me Too movement, I know that it's going to make a lot of people really mad, (laughs) Um, but especially conservative media, which was kind of... uh, you know, the, the idea, but the Gillette ad in itself, you know, for, for anyone not super familiar with it, it's basically just saying, you know, it's called like the best men can be, which is a play on their, the best a man can get, which is, has been their slogan forever. And it's just this idea that it, it promotes this idea that men should try to set good examples for boys, for future generations of men. And to not be sexist and to not harass people and basically just, you know, be a good person. But as soon as that came out, uh, Fox News, which working at Media Matters, I watch a lot of Fox News, um, probably an unhealthy amount of Fox News. But um, so Fox News, the day after it came out, I think, covered it. They gave it 12 minutes of airtime during Fox and Friends, which... To kind of put that in perspective, that was the day after Representative Steve King had been uh, stripped of all his committee assignments in the House of Representatives, which is a, a pretty huge, huge story, a huge deal, very rare. 
that got 30 seconds of airtime compared to the 12 minutes that the Gillette ad got. So you, you, you have this legitimately big story that's kind of being glossed over. And, and instead, they're doing a deep dive on an ad for a razor, which is uh, kind of interesting. But the response was that they don't need Gillette to tell them what to do. This is insulting to men. This is insulting to their viewers. And, you know, one, one person said that it was, it was an atrocity. The ad <laughs> represented an atrocity. And, uh, yeah, they just went on and on about this, saying that, called it clearly insulting, saying that I didn't learn anything from the Me Too movement. That was someone named Matt Walsh who was on Fox that day, which I think that, that might say a little bit about him, just in general, <laughs> uh, that, that he decided to to offer that little bit of, uh, you know, advice. But yeah, the reaction was just one of general outrage. Yeah. And the thing is, is like I said, I didn't understand why I expected that from them, because it's generally just saying, let's be better. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't understand the rejection of that. But, you know, I, I find myself wondering when this started, because it feels like it's escalated recently. But when you think about some examples from the recent past, right, like, you know, the rejection of the Me Too movement, which happened or started way before this ad came out, or even back as far as the dismissal of those Access Hollywood tapes where Trump bragged about, you know, sexual assault, essentially. And it was dismissed as boys will be boys, which is one of the themes of the ad. Mm-hmm. Another link is they have consistently rejected the idea that there's a link between misogyny and the spate of mass shootings. So it seems to come up in all of these areas, right? So do you think that this is recent or have conservatives always been kind of moving in this direction? Uh, you know, I, I don't think that this is recent. I think that this is this is something that you've you've seen kind of throughout history in, re- in response to, I mean, in response to especially just the overall uh, feminist movement, but specifically on Fox News, which, you know, that was that was kind of my, my big focus on this piece, but it kind of applies to conservative media in general. On Fox, they, they've done segments where they, they, they touch on this and they go about it from different angles. For instance, uh, you know, in 2014, there was a segment about how, you know, we have a failed culture because liberals would like to feminize men so that they don't play in the NFL or something along those lines. And, you know, another thing was later that same year, the same person made this comment saying that, you know, young men because of feminism have been completely feminized. Dads are doofuses in commercials and on TV, and they're demoralized in this country. Men aren't getting married. People aren't getting married. They don't have jobs. What is this doing to culture and who steps in? The government. It's why women, single women who are college educated, are having government subsidize their sex lives. So you've got this, <laughs> you've, you've, you've got this, this statement that basically goes from feminism is making men not get married or the men and women are not getting married as often and somehow ends with this idea that government is subsidizing women's sex lives like which is quite a stretch but they make the, they make that leap and that's that's what i found kind of interesting about this this topic in general because you see it applied to all sorts of 
all sorts of arguments. You know, you'll see someone talk about how immigration is tied to an assault on masculinity or LGBT rights is somehow tied to an assault on masculinity. The economy, they take these arguments. It's kind of genius because what they tend to do, the way they package these things is you can take something that someone might not care about. They might not care much about immigration, for instance, but if you tell the person at home, the person that Tucker Carlson is talking to at night, for instance, if you tell them that immigration poses a threat to their masculinity, um, you're, it's, it's going to create a sense of anxiety, a sense of stress. And that's how, that's how they get people interested in these ideas and pull them in. You take something where, you know, you've got something that doesn't affect someone's everyday life and you convince them that it will. And you saw this happen with, you know, marriage equality, for instance, you know, and overall the larger acceptance of LGBTQ people. If a man is not gay, why does it matter if men can marry men? They don't care. You know, it's not an actual threat to their own marriage, but if they convince them that marriage equality is part of some larger social rot, that then it's an assault on their masculinity and that their role in the world as providers and as, you know, courageous sort of figures is under attack, you know, and you see this especially play out when they talk about trans people. That happens a lot because it's this idea where you'll have men saying things like back in my day, boys were boys and girls were girls. It was simple. And <laughs> the reason that that argument seems to work so well for them is it, it poses a threat to their own sense of gender in itself, because if gender is something that can be self-determined and self-expressed, how secure can any man be in his own existence? Trans women are examples of what can happen to a man, for, for instance, you know, th this idea, you know, so trans women are women who are assigned male at birth and trans men who are men assigned female at birth, you know, kind of show what sort of role that people that they perceive as girls can kind of how they can sort of usurp their role as the ultra masculine leaders of the world. Right now, they're on top of the social hierarchy and anything that changes that, anything that changes how we look at gender, think about gender, poses a threat to that. And so that's why I think that it's such an effective message for the conservative audience or for people who you're trying to convince to be conservative because it tells them that, you know, the good days may be coming to an end. And you see that play out a lot of times when they talk about identity politics. That's something that constantly gets brought up. They talk about how America's headed for a point where whites won't be the majority. And that scares people and it motivates people to vote. Uh, and it motivates them to vote for the party that will reinforce the existing norms, that will reinforce the existing hierarchies. And so that's why you see, you know, that kind of message that sort of you will not replace us sort of message, which in addition to being in Charlottesville is also something that you'll hear on Tucker Carlson's show or Laura Ingram's show every once in a while. Yeah, but do the do the good days include rape culture, right? Because, you know, that's one of the things. I mean, seriously, because, you know, I guess I could, you know, playing devil's advocate, accept, you know, some of the rejection of some of this culture, right? Like, you know, for instance, the links to the NRA and right. gun gun culture being related to masculinity because there is, you know, some kind of financial benefit for supporting the NRA or for the NRA being linked to conservatism, right? But just, you know... Rape culture, for instance, and the rejection of the Me Too movement and embracing people like Brett Kavanaugh and Roy Moore, right? I mean, that is criminal. 
Right. And I guess, is it fair to suggest that they have no interest in culling those harmful effects of traditional masculinity? Is it unfair to suggest that they just have no interest in that? Well, see, I th- the way that they frame it, the way that they, these arguments are always framed is people don't need to be told not to assault others or people don't need to be told not to discriminate against others. And obviously, people do need to be told these things, because if, if, if we didn't have to tell people not to commit crimes and not to be terrible people, uh, then people wouldn't commit crimes or be terrible people. So I think that part of the you know, the embrace of people like Brett Kavanaugh or Roy Moore or just the larger, you know, rape culture in general, basically, is part of a way of pushing back on feminism as a whole and saying, no, we are, we are not going to let you dictate the rules of society. We're not ready to give that up. That sort of that sort of attitude. And if you take it from them, if you listen to how people who, who criticize things like the Me Too movement We'll talk about these issues is they'll frame them as saying that, well, of course, assaulting a woman is not part of masculinity. How dare you suggest that that is at all linked, that sort of idea? They'll, they'll get very defensive and they'll say, real men don't do this. And it's this way of distancing themselves from the issue at all. It's the same hash, you know, hashtag not all men kind of argument. It, it's saying that there's nothing inherently toxic about uh any aspect of masculinity and on its own, they might be right. But it's when aspects of masculinity kind of fester and and play off of each other in unhealthy ways that you get a situation where rape culture exists and it gets perpetuated. And one of the really interesting things I found, because I read all, I read a bunch of studies on, you know, the idea of how the media talks about masculinity and how that affects the way the men think. One of the things that, you know, one of the, the responses that some researchers have sort of, you know, theorized about is this idea that when men feel they're under attack or that their masculinity is being questioned, they're more likely to respond by consciously or unconsciously uh, sexualizing women more, which is really kind of an interesting thing because it's this idea that sexualizing women is this super masculine thing to do. And they might not even know that they're doing it. So it sounds like they don't want to be pegged as the party or the group that is in support of sexual assault or in support of rape culture. But what they want to do is they want to reject the definition of it, saying, you know, like, you know, oh, I know that society, you know, defines this as sexual assault or defines this as rape, but we're rejecting that. So we won't be accused of being (laughs) the party. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not really sexual assault, although, you know, that's what. That's yeah. what the law says. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think I, I think you see that same sort of dynamic play out across any any sort of group where, where you get defensive and you think, I didn't personally do anything wrong. Why am I forced to respond for the actions of others? And, you know, you, you, you see that sometimes uh, a white person, for instance, might be like, whoa, I didn't have any role in our history of oppression. So why do I have to care about racism? You know, I, I didn't do anything personally wrong and not acknowledging the, the system that built that up and their role in the larger system and how that system benefited them. And I think that in this case, when talking about, you know, things like toxic masculinity or rape culture, they that someone might think, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't assault someone. Why do I have to sort of answer for this? And in doing so, what they end up doing is they end up excusing actual crimes 
you know, they they say, well, no one proved anything with Roy Moore, which obviously the stuff with Roy Moore was very credible and very kind of straightforward. And it makes total sense why, you know, someone who was a teenage girl wouldn't want to go up against someone who was a powerful local judge at the, at the time, you know, when people are like, well, why didn't you say anything at the time? So you've got these situations where they're justifying all these, these situations. They're giving benefit of the doubt upon benefit of the doubt. And I think that it's all in their own sort of defense. It's not that they care much about Roy Moore or Brett Kavanaugh. It's that they worry that there's kind of a, a slippery slope. Every, every time they were ever rude to someone that'll be later deemed an assault or a crime or something like that, which obviously is, is a ridiculous thing to think. But there's nothing that's necessarily logical about the defenses there either. So you see people kind of go off in these directions that don't necessarily make sense, but they justify how they already think. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't just the Gillette ad, right? Like we talked about before, it was the Me Too movement and also the American Psychological Association, the APA. They recently came out with new guidelines to help psychologists work with men and boys. And I'll just read a part of their guidelines out. It says traditional masculinity marked by stoicism, competitiveness, dominance and aggression, very similar to the Gillette ad, is on the whole harmful. Men socialized in this way are less likely to engage in healthy behaviors. Who could have a problem with that? Oh, I know. Fox. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. And, and what's what's interesting is that so these these guidelines, I think it's important. One thing that Fox definitely did was they glossed over why these guidelines were being you know, sort of sort of created. And it's because there are problems that that are facing men at a disproportionate rate. You know, another thing in the guidelines, it says that men commit 90% of homicides and they make up 77% of homicide victims. You know, they're the group most likely at risk of violent crime. They're three and a half times as likely as women to die by suicide. Their life expectancy is five years shorter than, than a woman's. Boys are more likely to be diagnosed with attention deficit disorder than girls, and they face harsher punishments in school. And it's it's really interesting to, to kind of look at that, which a lot of the arguments that you'll see on Fox is that no one cares about the plight of men, which that's that's a that's something that Tucker Carlson always, you know, for for instance, he's kind of he's kind of the one that you can always go back to <laughs> uh, because he's he's had so many segments that kind of talk about this. So here's a quote from one of Tucker's shows. This was in March of last year. You know, he says that uh, women are winning, men are failing. On most campuses, men are a distinct minority. Then he says, every campus has a women's studies department. And in many of them, the stated goal is to fight expressions of masculinity and disempower men. So basically what Tucker is saying in that segment is he's saying, we have a women's studies department. Why isn't there ever a men's studies department? You know, we can talk about how women are being oppressed, but why don't we ever talk about what men are facing? And that's, it's a theme that he goes back to a lot on his shows. And what's, interesting about the APA guidelines is they're saying, look, we understand that men are facing some stuff that, you know, at disproportionate rates than women. And maybe we haven't done as good a job as we can addressing that. So <laughs> you would think, you would think that someone like Tucker Carlson would think that this is, this is a great idea, that this is perfect, that this is what, you know, this is what people need. But he didn't like the conclusion. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage 
all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Conclusions that they found. Yeah. You know, this is also really consistent with the direction of anti-intellectualism that conservatives have been going in for years now, right? In regards to Tucker, Tucker Carlson, Mm -hmm. you know, he does this thing where he takes a legitimate issue, you know, something with a legitimate provable outcome that warrants something that needs to be addressed, like, you know, higher suicide rates among men, for instance. But just before he reaches a fact-based or a science-based conclusion, He does this kind of bait and switch, right? And he uses it to indict the other side. You know, it's the fault of the left or it's the Democrats fault. The Democrats did it. No, I mean, I, I, I would have a very hard time disagreeing with that <laughs> um, okay. because that's that that's very clear what 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 he's doing. You know, he, he, will, he will point to something and say, look, this is a real problem. And people acknowledge, yes, it's a real problem. He acknowledges the problems, but then he makes up his own solutions. Yeah, and it's usually Democrats yeah, did it, right? <laughs> so, so I know your piece is centered around Fox News and around Tucker Carlson, but you know, one of the things that surprises me is how consistent the messaging is across, mm-hmm. you know, with all of their contributors, and it amazes me as to how consistent they are and how they're on the same page about this. And I'm not really sure how that happens, right? Do they have a meeting offline across, you know, Ben Shapiro and they all just kind of get around? I mean, actually, I have seen photos of them on social media where they go out, you know, for drinks. So I don't know. How do they get on the same page? You know, I well, I think that I think that one thing that happens a lot of times in just in conservative media generally is that they feed off of each other. And, and you, you sort of see this sort of cycle of um, coverage. Something might pop up on a far right blog or it might emerge somewhere like 4chan or Reddit. And then that idea will make its way onto a kind of fringy right wing blog like Infowars or Gateway Pundit. And then from there, you might see Breitbart pick it up. And then once Breitbart picks it up, enough people in this this little ecosystem are, are talking about the issue that it ends up on Fox. And then Fox talks about it, and it goes back to the blogs who all write about that same thing. At Media Matters, we've had some videos where you know, we'll, we'll compare the way that Tucker Carlson talks about a certain issue with the way that uh, Gavin McInnes or Paul Joseph Watson or any of these other kind of fringy right-wing commentators will will discuss something. And a lot of times there is that overlap. And it's really interesting to um, to, to watch. And I, I think that that's mostly as organic as it can be. It's not that anyone's sending out a, uh, a list of bullet points. It's that they all sort of exist in this little ecosystem. So you talk about this idea of the precarious manhood theory, which almost sounds made up, but it isn't. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> can you explain what that is and what the yeah. link is? Yeah. So this was this was something I, um, I hadn't heard of until, you know, a, a few weeks ago when I started researching for this piece. So there's this idea idea of precarious manhood theory, which is exactly what it, what it sounds like. It's this idea that manhood is less of a permanent state and more one that's just sort of, it's hard to earn and it's easy to lose. It's this idea of what a real man does. And it's the idea that someone can lose their man card as, as though they're real, as though these are real things in the world as a man card. And, you know, this this theory, which is um, essentially that when men feel their gender is threatened, the reason that they can feel that it is threatened is because manhood is 
is a precarious social state that they can lose if they're not sufficiently tough or masculine or that they're not upholding these gender roles and expressions as they as they should. And so what this theory suggests that men who feel that their gender is under attack um, which could be through something like like losing their job or being outearned by a woman could cause some internal struggles like anxiety and stress, but also increase things like risk taking and aggression and a rejection of all things feminine, which this is this is the study that I found where they discussed how men would kind of pivot to, you know, when they felt that their gender was under attack, that they would pivot to this idea of just over-sexualizing women. But basically what it's, what it's saying is these, these attacks, this, this state of feeling as though your livelihood's going to be pulled away from you and your, your existence is going to be pulled away from you is, is kind of fueling all of the bad things <laughs> that we associate with masculinity. That's what fuels it. You know, a lot of this is what fuels it. It tells men that they have to be tough, that if they're not sufficiently tough, then they're not a real man. You know, they have to make these public displays of masculinity in order to remain valid as men, as people, as, you know, um, useful members of society. It's an interesting idea that I hadn't really thought of much before. And what's even more interesting is the fact that this this doesn't really go both ways. This study that I was reading, one of them says, you know, in contrast, one rarely, if ever, encounters questions about whether a woman is a real woman or a woman enough. You know, it's like when you're not at the top of the social hierarchy, you can't really be kicked further down. Yeah. Well, a lot to unpack there. I mean, a couple of things. So what you, what you said about, you know, one of the reactions to feeling that masculinity is under threat is to then further sexualize women mm -hmm. or to over-sexualize women. Yeah. And I think that that has a link to one of the reactions that Fox News had or the conservative media had to Playboy's announcement that they mm -hmm. would stop publishing nude photos. And they had a negative reaction to that because, of course, that's just one vehicle for objectifying and, you know, sexualizing women. Yeah. And and then, you know, secondly, you talk about the difference in the study and how women don't react in the same way when womanhood mm -hmm. or femininity is taken away or is reduced or diminished, right? right? What happens in our society is that women are moved aside or forgotten mm -hmm. or pushed to the margins, whereas men they are pushed to defend or reclaim their masculinity, right? Like mm -hmm. no one tries to push a woman to reclaim her femininity, right? It's right. just that we'll, we'll just push her to the margins and forget about her if she's gotten old or if she's gotten overweight or if she's unattractive. You know what I mean? All those things are, are associated with typically with womanhood. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, when you're not challenging the, when you're not challenging the very, the very top rung of power, um, people people tend to just kind of ignore it, ignore your role in it and don't try to delegitimize you further, which, you know, the worst thing that you could tell a man is that he's a woman because that's seen as a lower, you know, a lower social class. You know, it's a step down on the rung. Kevin Hart made some jokes on Twitter like 10 years ago or something like that about how if his son was gay, he would beat him up. The, the example he used in his tweet was he was talking about if his son was playing with dolls. It's, it's not specific to him, but it's just this general idea that's baked into society that men need to make very public displays that they are not women, that they are not lesser, that they deserve to be where they are in society, that everything has been earned, that we live in a total meritocracy. 
and that, you know, anyone who says otherwise is just jealous or something like that. Speaking of Kevin Hart and homophobia Mm -hmm. and celebrities, you know, the attack on the Empire star, Jasim Smollett, Mm -hmm. and the conflation of conservatism and homophobia. I mean, it's just kind of and racism. It just kind of all came together with that one piece of news with the one attack. And I don't really know what the conservative media's response to that has been. Have you seen a response from conservative media or Fox News or have they just kind of glossed over that? Sure. It, it's, it seems like it's mostly been glossed over. But so so this this attack happened a little more than a week after that situation with the the kids from that Covington school in, in Kentucky. And the, the narrative that came out of that was that the liberal media jumped the gun and went out to demonize people. And I, th- I think in response to this, that's sort of the narrative that's being put out there. Well, we don't have all the facts, but you're already blaming all Trump supporters and no one's blaming all Trump supporters for this. But um, it's it's worth examining. It's worth examining if someone jumps someone and puts, puts a noose around their neck and and beats them up while yelling slurs, uh, that's, that's worth, it's worth trying to understand where that came from and addressing it. And I think that one of the, the reaction is to try to deflect. That's why a lot of the responses that I've seen so far from conservative commentators has been to say, well, we don't know that this was actually, these were Trump supporters. And, you know, to be fair, we don't. But, you know, at the, at the same time, maybe we need to kind of think about why people run around and use the president's name as a way to strike fear into the hearts of others by just yelling that or yelling about building a wall in situations that don't have anything to do with a wall. It's about kind of asserting power. It's it's that same sort of idea at play, you know, the idea of masculinity being being under threat, that there's this need to publicly assert power. And it's in those displays of power that I think that we see a lot of these um, a lot of these unhealthy behaviors kind of bubble up to the surface. Yeah. You know, you see, so you're, you're being very kind here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I mean, I'm because trying. I, 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 obviously, and we shouldn't have to say this, obviously not all men are bad. Right. right? Um, I, my husband's a man. My father <laughs> is a man. <laughs> So, you know, I love men. Some of my best friends are men. I don't think that all men are bad. However, although no one has said that Trump supporters are responsible for this attack or any of these attacks, no one has said, literally said that all Trump supporters are responsible for this. However, if you support an administration that has homophobic policies, transphobic policies, racist policies, if you continue to support an administration that pushes these ideologies, then you are in some ways, even distant, in a, in a distant way, in a removed way, responsible for the output of that administration. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, that's definitely something that um, people need to, you know, kind of consider. I think, I think in, in politics in general. So why do you think that Democrats and some progressives, some progressives, are less susceptible to this this messaging? Why is this a conservative thing? Uh, one of the things that comes up when when you think about this is the the basis of precarious manhood theory and social dominance theory is that it uses fear to provoke action, and fear is powerful. You know, we we saw that happen in, in the midterms. People were afraid that their healthcare was going to go away, so they got out and they voted. And so, you know, fear can fear can be a powerful motivator. However, uh, there's nothing that can really be threatened in the same sort of way because the one thing about you know people who tend to vote for conservatives and for Republicans is that they tend to be a much more homogenized group and. 
one of the defining features of people on the left is more that they sort of have to realize that to succeed, they need to build coalitions with each other. You know, you need to have people who see reproductive justice as a giant issue that is that is super important to them. They need to work with people who believe that that trans people should be able to access healthcare, you know, and in common they can see this overlap, which is that it's all about bodily autonomy. And you see these coalitions. And that's why I think some people kind of dismiss identity politics because they see all these groups pointing to what affects them and building coalitions around that. But the truth is that identity politics, when you apply it to conservatives, is, is really simple because there aren't that many identities to build it out of. So if you can basically convince half the, half the country that their identity is under attack with a single statement like masculinity is under attack, then you can effectively influence them politically. I think that <laughs> we really have to kind of grapple with the fact that that there is a there is an entire conservative ecosystem uh, within media that pumps these messages out and repeats them almost word for word over and over, uh, and it just sort of sticks. So I think that they have a few things on their side, and that's a big one. Parker Malloy, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great being here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a millisecond right now to hit the subscribe button. And this will help the electorate, a fact-based podcast, outrank those conservative podcasts. So please hit subscribe now and leave a review. Also, please let me know what you think of the electorate. Please visit electorate on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at electorate. And until next time, keep up the good fight.